Hey guys, just before we get into it, we would like to acknowledge our podcast partners in Beyond Blue. If you're feeling low, anxious, or need to talk to someone, please contact the people at Beyond Blue. Their phone number is 1300 224 636. You can visit them on the website as well at www.beyondblue.org.au forward slash get support. Enjoy the episode. Thanks, guys. Hello and welcome to the Listics AFL podcast. I'm your host, John Van Norden, and here with me is my good friend, Sean Lewis. Sean, how are you doing this week, mate? Going well, Johnny boy. Um, it's uh, tough times. Interesting week. Really interesting week. How are um, you? I'm well. I think it was after our podcast last week that the NBA was cancelled. I think it was the day after we recorded. Um, I can't remember exactly. So I think it was Thursday um, that the NBA was cancelled. It was midday Thursday, but um, a lot has changed in the landscape between that point um, and the area that we're at right now in terms of both um, or in the, the spread of coronavirus as well as the sentiments, uh, consumer sentiment, the changing landscape with the AFL, what's been happening there. Um, but I mean, I'm yeah, I mean, it's just been a... I, it's been crazy. That's... It's been a week unlike one I've ever experienced. Absolutely. Um, I think it's probably worth noting that um, our uh, pre-season reviews have been, I guess, halted. Um, we thought it would be better to cover the direct issues that the AFL are facing and, I guess, the wider questions um, involved there from societal issues right through to your super coach um structures yeah exactly that. um but yeah i mean polar ends in terms of importance yeah. super coach being top and societal issues john's saying that with a dirty big smile on his face <laughs> of course so don't take that seriously at all please um it's it's yeah it's been it's been that kind of crazy week but we probably should do a mental health minute on it so johnny how are you doing mate i'm pretty good now um i mean i i think that i was having this conversation with my boss um my boss Ben today actually because he was sort of saying that he thinks that I probably reacted the way that he's reacting now this time last week so when when the NBA was cancelled it set in for me straight away that this was something that was really serious and was going to hit home much harder than what I had originally anticipated um, so now I'm actually feeling pretty good about it I'm feeling like I can see a light at the end of the tunnel not necessarily that things aren't going to get worse they will um but i think that i've been able to come to terms with that um and uh now i'm sort of in a more of a um uh not proactive um but that, that's this is the new normal space this is the new normal yeah exactly um and what that looks like so i was working from home at the start of the week now i'm working from a different office um like our remote office rather than our city office um, and as soon as I was back in an office environment, I actually felt a lot better, um, which was good for my mental health. I'll still be mixing it up between working from home and working from that remote office, but um, the human interaction is super important for me. So being able to spend a lot of time on the phone while I've been at home speaking with people, clients, customers, um, candidates, everything um, has been really important. And yeah, I guess I'm starting to feel a lot better about it now. Um, how about you, mate? This is you're you're a family man, so um, you've got different concerns. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, it's a it's a really interesting one. I guess uh, the panic stuff uh, is a little bit frustrating. I guess from a sensibility point of view, 
um, you know, there's not a shortage unless we, we panic buy. Um, so I guess, you know, the advice was to continue as normal and yet, um, you know, there we are having punch-ons in supermarkets about, um, dunny roll and and uh, i guess yeah that 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 concerns me i don't like seeing that i don't think that's us as a country but uh, in times of crisis people react certain ways and um it's a bit unfortunate but i mean mentally in a good space um i was a bit crook two weeks ago and i went through the the ring with the doctors around uh, my movements and and if i was a candidate for coronavirus and uh, effectively what i had was was a common cold um i didn't have any fevers or anything like that and it was really just a, a real snotty nose which was really charming so um got through that and and everything and everything's going well at home and i guess we're just taking a few precautions at home trying to limit our i guess our um obviously having a newborn people want to drop past so we're probably limiting that a bit more at the moment yep. um Work-wise, um, my company's put in place its control measures. We're all still going to work. And a bit like you, I like being in the office environment. Um, I feel productive and, and um, can, it's good to kind of continue doing my job. Um, that said, we can work from home. We're going to trial that over the next few days as a, as a work group and, and see how that goes. Um, yeah, I mean, everything's, everything's good personally. Um, got some genuine concern, obviously, for... Um, our elderly and our, our um, I guess, the people who are at risk of this virus. So people receiving treatments of any description in the sense of whether it be respiratory or, or um, cancer or, or even diabetes, they've shown, a, 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 you know, an increased risk there as well. So, I mean, it, it's just, yeah, it's a time of, of worry um, in the sense of you worry for your grandparents and and you know people you know who may be a bit older in life but um same time you know you gotta reflect on and be grateful for what you got and at the moment you know we're a happy healthy household of three humans and and two dogs so um yeah just taking the right measures in place um to keep ourselves safe yeah and uh, do our bit for society as well yeah i think that's that's sort of what what I meant by um, the new normal, and probably what you're referring to as well. Just the doing everything you can to stop the spread of the virus, but recognizing that outside of that, it's outside of your control, um, and just being able to control the things that you can control yep. um, will make this um, either uh, spread the, or what you call it, flatten the curve as much as possible, um, yep. and, and hopefully drag this out so we can before everybody. Um, gets the virus, we can um, we can find a vaccine um, and and start to actually fight back. So and there seems to be some pretty promising signs in that space. Yep. based on what I've been reading, that there's um obviously a you know fairly um, some fairly advanced I guess um, vaccines and antibodies and researches that they're doing uh, yeah around how the virus works and. Um, yeah, it's really, really positive, and we just hope that you know, obviously, governments plowing more funding there and pushing. There's potential for, you know, I was reading one last night that they're trialing a drug that was developed for Ebola um, that may have um, a better impact on this version of the coronavirus. So, yeah, um, you know, that's a really positive thing. So, I think people definitely should hold a lot of hope that our medical research teams are, you know, on the hunt and. You know, as they showed with with SARS before this, and 
even Ebola, um, you know, we can develop a vaccine and we can develop a, um, you know, an ability to cure it. And um, we hopefully will be doing that very soon. Yeah. Uh, Just one more comment before we move forward, which was on the panic buying thing. Have you seen that episode of The Simpsons where Bart brings down a bank single-handedly at the start of the episode? Uh, Probably. He goes into the bank and he goes up behind people and he goes, what do you mean the bank's out of money? And starts driving a fear sentiment into people. Yes. Um, And it's the same with supermarkets. Supermarkets don't have a supply chain issue. So the same amount of food is coming through. They're not going to run out unless the same thing happens with that, which is that everybody goes to get their money at the same time, in which case the bank cannot meet supply and goes out of business because it can't. And in this case, supermarkets won't go out of business because they're making all of the money. They're not mm-hmm. holding onto your money for you. But that's how the supply-demand issue works. The supply chain hasn't changed, but the demand has drastically increased. So... The supply is not going to meet demand in the short term. Yeah. Um, what you have to do, though, is know that supermarkets won't close no matter what. Yeah. Um, you're still going to have food. So try to buy responsibly um, and don't don't just every single time you go to the, show buy, uh, the shop buy every single can and every single thread yeah. of a- anything to do with tissues and toilet paper and everything. Just deal within your means and... But you got to... Yeah, it's, it's not... It, it's about as well it's you know we're a community we've got to share it around yeah you know at the moment in our household we have enough loo paper that we you know we're okay so next time i go to the shops if there's some there i'm probably not going to buy it because we don't need it now someone else needs it more than us i just hope that that person who buys something like that isn't hoarding it because yeah at the end of the day you know there's nothing more risky for our elderly and and the people at risk in our communities um and and even like i read something from dylan olcott that was saying like you know it's really hard for disabled people to be able to to get supplies at the moment um as well and you know these are people in our community who deserve all the same things that we do um you know why should why should we just rush by and you know take for ourselves when you know the responsible thing is to ensure the community has a spread and i know woolworths iga and, and and that are doing their best but at the end some of us have to take some responsibility as well like we have yep. to take responsibility that um we need to buy appropriately for our needs in this time where there is a panic but you know even the other day like i saw a, a post on facebook from a friend who's you know got a six month old baby um they hadn't been able to get toilet paper for a week and you know um she's there running around to all the different supermarkets she can in in the area driving further to try and find just a four pack of toilet paper yeah we're not talking much here we're talking four rolls um and in the end you know on the sixth or seventh supermarket they found it and it's like you know like how has it come to that like where you, you have to go so far just to find something so simple yeah um probably also brings into question you know are there more eco-friendly ways we can be doing this stuff rather than just straight dunning paper but you know that's another question for another day you're gonna start wiping with towels oh no there's there's just you know i'm sure anyone who's been to japan or even most parts of asia would know that you know typically they don't have toilet paper in most of these countries in the western sense I think they do have toilet paper if you're in a hotel or anything like that. But, 
you know, um, I guess the analogy I'll use is you don't wash your hands with, with dry paper, do you? Yeah. So, you know, um, I guess in Japan, they've got the bidet systems um, in terms of the toilet seat uh, that wash your areas when you're done. Um, and then obviously, in if you haven't been to Bali or, or even Thailand and that, where they've got the, uh, the bucket and the water gun next to it, um, you know, there's a few different... Uh, methodologies and I know that Australia the Australian bidet company has had something like a, a double or tripling in sales since the uh, toilet paper crisis wow. started um, but you know it's just things I guess more holistically we can probably look at you know um, are some of the ways we do things the best when we depend on something so much that's so simple like toilet paper that's, you know that's is, what's- this was going to be probably not just that, but um, more broadly, what's going to, I think, change the most out of this is just our ways of doing things will move towards better ways of doing things. So, for example, people working from home, um, I think that people will move towards um, a much more distributed workforce. Um, it might not be immediately after this, but this will create well, a decentralization create a complete burning platform for for all of that sort of stuff it'll create a burning platform for doing um non-physically essential tasks online as much as possible so it'll birth a lot of new businesses moving into the online space or businesses sort of claiming that online space it's just it's gonna be a very interesting six months i just hope that everyone um staying safe and and i think that we do these mental health minutes and reflect on this stuff because it is a it's a hard time so if you are having a hard time with it all, feel free to reach out to us. We're always happy to yeah. chat. Um, the team at Beyond Blue are well-staffed for these kind of events. Absolutely. Um, so do reach out to them. And um, Lifeline and plenty of other mental health helplines. I actually, so, yeah. I did have, uh, I got given at work the other day a card that was um, that had, I guess, like a, the suite of mental health support um, numbers. I was actually going to bring that and read through the organizations on here but i've i've forgotten it but we can do that for the next one because yeah absolutely at this time people will be finding it challenging you know the realities of what we're facing as a country is you know people will lose jobs um unfortunately um our economy is going to suffer um and um you know there's potentially some very stressful times coming up and and you know on top of that you know our our doctors, our nurses, our social workers—they're um, all. Uh, all our support networks are under intense, uh, insane strain at the moment because, you know, as a as a country, we're under strain. So we need to, you know, make sure everyone's looking after themselves. And we, you know, from John and I, genuinely, we hope everyone listening to this is is okay. And if you're not, please do reach out to someone um, and seek some help because. Um, there's always help and there's always a new day and there's always a way to get through it you know that's just what we do with you know we've come through plenty of crises before maybe we haven't seen something like this type of pandemic in our lifetimes before um, but human history has seen it and we have gotten through it and we pick ourselves back up and we keep going and yeah um, and it's i mean just to build on that as well um there are going to be a lot of people that are working from home you're not going to have your commute the same as you used to have which means you probably have more time um you can use that time doing anything but if you have ever thought about getting um speaking to somebody or Mm. getting getting help with your with your mental health or just talking to somebody about what's on your mind 
um maybe maybe try it um i mean you've got the additional time you've got the additional hour in your day um try and book out an hour where you can speak to somebody um just about what's on your mind and and try it for the if you've if you've never tried it before and you think that it would be something that would help um it might be something nice that you can do for yourself that when eventually this does blow over you might feel completely better but for a very different reason um you're addressing things that are not issues because of this time um but you've got the skills the resources the time everything to do it deal with it now so yeah the time is always now for dealing with issues absolutely um, uh, moving on to the episode it's probably going to be a bit of a different one yeah um, i think we'll, we'll try to we'll try to approach um i guess the changing landscape from a couple of angles so um obviously we've talked a little bit about what's happening um in the broader landscape of um coronavirus or COVID-19 um whichever way we'll respond to it um during the episode they're the same thing um but we want to talk a little bit about I guess the the numbers the data um talk a little bit about uh round one so we've just had confirmation that it is going ahead yep um, that happened literally less than an hour ago for us yeah we were watching it live which is good we waited till that was announced as I said our podcast back but allowed us to have dinner and so. we unfortunately haven't assessed Richmond and Carlton but that's okay um we we can just talk about I guess the uh, should round one go ahead um even though it is we should just talk about should it um what are the social implications uh, for and against something like this going ahead and for sport? I mean, probably more broadly, um, what's the landscape going to look like from round one onwards and what's that? What's happening with the rules? We know there's been some tweaks to those. Yeah. Um, and I guess in a slightly lighter note, what does it mean for Supercoach fantasy football? Um, yeah fixtures game time all of that sort of stuff so so i guess before we get into it, it's probably worth acknowledging we we very much respect that this is a very serious time for the, our country and out of the world effectively i guess it's probably um we're we're going to look at it we're a football podcast um we spoke a bit then about more of the social issues but we'll probably definitely look at this more from a football sense um and yeah that's not to diminish or or to um, belittle, I guess, in any way, shape, or form, the seriousness of, of what we are facing as a civilization, uh, as a global people, or a global community, or however you want to look at it. Um, you know, John and I absolutely believe that this is, you know, serious, and, and we need to take this seriously. But um, in, uh, I guess, an effort, and our fan base being around AFL, we, we want to discuss more the AFL implications for it um yeah and, and yeah so i guess john taking that first question um personal opinion time yeah should round I mean, one, uh, should, should round one go ahead yeah um i mean I, i've sort of been of that belief we i think we talked about it a couple of times we have a chat with about 10 people that talk about football all the time and yeah. have been talking about this quite heavily and i i think that um i pretty much i thought the last few days have been of the um, the idea that it will go ahead um, I, I couldn't see it not going ahead and the reason I think that it should go ahead as well is a combination of um, we're doing a lot as a country already um, to prevent the spread uh, and this, I think that Josh Walker um, did a really good tweet on this today um, just sort of highlighting that it doesn't make sense not to go ahead when you've got like a highly professional environment 
that every, like what was this I'll read it out verbatim silly to think that we couldn't play with slash against 44 guys who are taking extreme hygiene precautions and being closely monitored by team doctors but we're still expected to go to the supermarkets and get petrol he's like let us let us play AFL and I think that mm. it sort of captured a lot of what I was thinking which was that um, and like I reckon the precautions even go further than them going to the supermarkets they do um, they're, they're in they're in good hands and they're, they're going to isolation me, uh, measures that nobody else uh, not nobody else that a lot of people in Australia aren't going to Bailey Banfield came out today uh, Fremantle player for those of you who don't know you should though yeah, we love our Fremantle players um, came out and said that he had to uh, call have a really hard call with his girlfriend um, who's just started a new job in the CBD in Western Australia um, and had to say that he wouldn't be able to see her for a few weeks at least while this next part plays out because she's going on public transport she's around Hipsville from work which is fine it's fine for the general populace but yeah. he, he can't bring coronavirus into the club he yeah. can't um, or the AFL or the, exactly so he can't, he can't do it at all so I, I I think that they're doing everything that they can, and I think that it'll be yeah. I think it's the right thing to go ahead. Yeah, I think I probably I felt they were going to go ahead, but I didn't necessarily agree with it. I kind of have probably changed my my mind in the last twenty four hours. Um, reading things like that, like what John just spoke about, and then when you actually think through it, and I guess um, effectively your AFL players in your club environment. If you have a look at every club, they've got their own um, corona or COVID-19 response um, so you know for, for um, doesn't matter which footy club they've split up administration and playing groups they've split up you know women's team and men's team um, you know clubs that have the ability to go across multiple locations have done that you know it, it, clubs are taking extreme precautions um, to keep everyone safe and playing um, and players themselves at the end of the day, and this is probably the biggest distinction I've got. I know that the VFL and the Waffle and the NEFL and, you know, in Melbourne in more general, you know, the EFL, MPNFL, EDFL, NFL, VAFA, everyone under the sun has all delayed games until, uh, until May, effectively, whether it be early, mid or late May, they've all delayed into May in some way, shape or form. Um, the difference is in those clubs they're all semi-professional or amateur so therefore the players in those clubs rely on other jobs to keep majority of their income and as such going and it's like playing social basketball like going and putting yourself in amongst in close contact with 43 other guys on a on a football field is not going to be conducive to limiting the spread and it puts your livelihood at risk if you're a builder and you can't work for two weeks that's a real issue um so in that sense given there's the semi-professional or even amateur status of these competitions it's understandable that they delay the afl the players they work for the afl they play only afl so therefore i guess this is their livelihood and you know effectively they don't play and it the way the CBA is set up with the with the revenue sharing model it hurts their future income and you got to remember that for most of these footy players they have a 10 year career yeah for the so, good for the good footy players yeah 
Yeah, like I think the average football career is three point something years and, you know, um, uh, 10 or 12 games or something. It's incredibly low. But, um, yeah, so it's really important to them to keep playing and they are all and all the clubs are taking extreme measures to protect themselves, you know, isolating, you know, inside the club, uh, isolating administration, administration, separating lunch rooms where they used to maybe share with the with the um the office staff or the women's team or you know everything is all segregated now and it's segregated to protect the groups each individual group you know you need your administration to make your club run you need your football team your men's football team to play you know for your sponsors for your men's football team you need your women's football team to play for your sponsors for your women's football team um so you know it's all this big kind of environment that relies on each other but you can segregate them and that's what they're doing they're protecting themselves um as well as that you know football clubs high level of medical care you know a player comes in with a with a blister and you know (laughs) they're getting it popped and bandaged and protected and they might go on a modified program to manage their running gait you know that's the level that some clubs will go to with just something as innocent as a blister um so you can imagine what they're going to be doing around this players will be monitored they'll be temperature checked every day before they come into the club they will be you know um it'll it'll be a highly controlled environment and you know i think it's probably worth remembering that the nba was going down this path until rudy gobert tested positive when rudy gobert tested positive that's when they shut down and the afl has publicly stated should a player test positive they will shut down so is their reaction any different to the NBA, which is probably the first major competition? Um, no, because they're following the same plan. The difference is we haven't had a positive test. But the moment we have a positive test, we're, we're shut down for two weeks. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I, think it's, I think it's all good. Um, and obviously we know now that what the changes to the, to the landscape have been. So land, round one is going ahead. Um, well, I think it's probably worth noting what Gil said. He yeah. said... He said you know they are persisting with a 17 round season but it's not 17 rounds it's 153 games and it's game by game so they get through tomorrow and they get through friday night and then someone tests positive saturday morning we stop yeah so that round happens two four whatever the weeks is it'll happen then so it, it really is and this is the unfortunate landscape that we're in now as a as a as a football in public um where you know halfway through a round we may lose um we may lose football yeah and i mean i don't think i'll be very interested to see actually this happens i don't think we'll get to a point where rounds are overlapping um so you have some i don't don't think that will ever happen where you'll have some people playing round three and some people playing round two based on partially completed rounds um, they may accelerate some games to keep teams like Yeah, exactly. So what they'll do is accelerate games. So potentially a team would have started on a Friday or a Saturday and they'll mm. start on a Wednesday um, and then it'll play maybe all, all, all day round. So you'll go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like just spread the games out daily. Um, I mean, it'd probably be good for their viewership numbers if they were on most nights. Um, give, give, us, give us two nights during the week where we don't have to watch footy, but most nights it'll be on. Yeah. Um, some of the other things that were announced were that they'll be playing 16-minute quarters plus time on. Yeah. Um, the AFL women's season um, is 
proceeding but straight to finals. So that was one of the tweets that I saw um, from one of the team at Fox Footy. I think it was Daniel Cherney. I can never pronounce his name properly. Um, was saying that the Collingwood AFLW players were in tears in their rooms because they were told that the season was going ahead, but they're, they're not in finals contention. I mean, well, they are in finals contention if the season continued to play out. They've got two mm. games to come, but they don't get to play to see whether they make finals. It's just proceeding straight to finals, which, you know... Which is hard. It's hard. I mean, it, it is really hard. And I think that um, I think that if you get to that position with the men's comp, I think that they'll think a bit harder, which is, I think, unfair. Um, I think that if they reach... The, I mean, I'm sure the women would be happy to continue playing until they finish their season, even if it took 8, 9, 10, 15 weeks. Mm. Um, but because it is a semi-professional league where they generally have jobs, they don't play all year round for their AFL club, yep. um, it, it's a little bit different, which is why yeah. this Again, happened. it probably, probably comes a bit closer to the VFL situation. It does um, um, and it's I mean it's unfortunate the way that happens now I, and I, as I said I don't think that the same thing will happen if we get through 15 rounds of AFL no. and there's time deadlines put on and they go okay we're skipping straight to finals I don't think they'll do that I think I think in the end the AFL has said that they're willing to extend out to a 40 week um, and potentially that means that the grand final isn't at the MCG um, for the yeah. first time since 91 I know. So, um, they, you know, these are all big risks. Just that, just on that, they better play it in whichever team finishes highest in the ladder's home state if they can. I think the minimum requirement would be you have to have more than Eddie had capacity. Well, they wouldn't be able to have capacity. They're not going to be able to put numbers in the seats. Well, that's if we're still on. If, if we're still on lockdown. So if we're but, still on, if we're still on lockdown, yeah, yeah, I agree. It has to have more as the same as on more than Eddie had in seats. I, I'd be happy. with I would it. imagine the AFL would probably want to play it at Eddie had just to keep it controlled. Uh, and the AFL own Eddie had, so they would get a lot exactly. of the gate takings. So that's what will happen. We don't even have to consider it any further. <laughs> it will happen if it's not happening in the MCG. It'll happen at Eddie had. Sorry, interstate teams. I'm on your side. Although mate. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing it at Optus Stadium in Perth or. Or uh, the that's, CG, or that's right, exactly. I, I would love to see cracking. it. I'd love to see it um, in probably Perth is the most likely. How's, how's about Bonstone? Bonstone would be nice. <laughs> yeah, Bonstone. Um, so that, that could be Hawthorne's home ground. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, sorry, that's that's North Melbourne. My apologies. North Melbourne's North Melbourne's home ground. So, I mean, that's sort of how things are going at the moment. Um, I mean, we talked. We already touched a little bit on the social implications of for and against. I mean, probably not as much against. Um, we sort of talked about us both thinking at times, and I know you were a bit stronger on this, why it shouldn't go ahead. And probably, um, you know, a lot of times it's just presenting a unified approach to um, how to best be an example of social distancing and best practice or maybe next practice rather than best practice mm. um, would be cancelling and putting everything on lockdown. But I think that... Um, as you said, once you know exactly what the clubs are going through, and when you also take a bit into... We were having this discussion over dinner before. Um, it was a, a nice... Um, he- not heated. Heated is the wrong word. Um, a conversation full of gusto. Frank discussion. Frank and full of gusto. Um, I, I really enjoyed the conversation, but it was about the business implications of shutting a business down. Yep. Um, and balancing the business and health. Um, and not just... Sorry, not the business and health. Um, balancing what is best for people as in 
the combination of how do we keep people in jobs yes. because that's that's part of it is not having mass layoffs and not going into a recession um, which will have long-term health effects on people um, and also the actual direct health effects of the virus and how to minimize that so mm-hmm. I think once I wrapped my head around all of that it was um, easier to say it should go ahead um, yep. behind closed doors but yeah and that's a tough part to be behind closed doors because we all wish we could be there um, but I guess we're just gonna have to settle for watching at home uh, I think in terms of against it going ahead um, probably the biggest thing for me and the biggest reason why you wouldn't go ahead is again to, to kind of lead that social side of it um, I think probably it's a really fine balance to find uh, keeping the country and the economy moving whilst also um, balancing that against the, the risks of transmission and and obviously this thing spreading as it will um, I guess if you can live in an isolated bubble which effectively the AFL's probably trying to do with all the clubs yep um, you can manage that risk as best you can and then the moment someone tests positive is is shut down and I guess to a wider kind of business perspective um, similar things so you know businesses that all most businesses will operate through this um, hopefully um, and those businesses will obviously have to weigh up the 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 I guess the human impacts uh, as you said between the virus and keeping people in jobs and you know that sort of thing so it's a very difficult position um, and I guess the government's guidelines have left it reasonably open and reasonably up to business to decide and I don't think we're going to get a direction from the government unless we get to some very silly transmission levels per day yeah so you know the order of magnitude is you know kind of probably the you know five six seven eight hundred new cases a day might be where they start to look at it or something like that but i find it yeah very challenging to think that the government will shut the country down yeah no i'm I'm of the same belief as that now um i guess when we're talking where do they go from round one this is something that interests me a lot um when we talk about the idea of more of a rolling fixture um so i think that early commitments were that the first four rounds would go ahead as per the existing schedule. I think um, Gill's acknowledged that with his comment around game by game. Yeah, so uh, the plan will be that the first while while they or I mean it effectively buys them a month to see assess the lay of the land and also adjust the schedule because that's one of the hardest things um, is is actually landing on uh, a fair and balanced schedule. Uh, because it's going to be, uh, I mean, some of the adjustments they were talking about initially in that press conference were um, examples like Greater Western Sydney um, playing two games at Marvel Stadium, um, one in round four and one in uh, round one in round two and one in round four. Sorry, um, and then playing a team that has Marvel Stadium as their home ground in round three uh, in Sydney. And instead of playing that game in Sydney, it would be moving that game forward and playing it at Marvel Stadium so that the Sydney team didn't have to 
fly back and forth between Sydney multiple times and the other team didn't have to do the same thing. So instead, they would stay at a hotel close and potentially play three games in 12 days or something rather than... Yep. Um, I mean, in 14 days rather than over 21 days. So little adjustments like that. Um, I think there might have been another one. I can't remember. And, I think it was Fremantle was the other one they were looking at doing in the early rounds. And part of, part of the shortening of the game enables them to potentially run more games in in shorter time frames and that'll be off the back of probably some the sports scientist and medical advice that they've got um i guess probably the interesting implication of this rolling type fixture is going to be more around um i guess the social benefit of of um i guess games being played yeah um and it, it sounds a bit odd I guess because it's it's a very hard thing you know people could quite easily say well you know what's the benefit in in playing but um, I think that with the AFL going ahead there's going to be you know an upswing in I guess the footballing following world public viewpoint that you know there's a bit of hope there you know the AFL's continuing they're doing the right things they're, they're being safe you know um, and you know they've got the plans in place that should something change or go wrong that they stop and and we reevaluate and you know I think in that same conversation before over dinner John we we you know we spoke about um, obviously uh, companies and organisations being agile or being adaptive however you want to call it whatever the buzzword is at the moment yeah but, um, it's it's more about companies acknowledging and organizations like the afl acknowledging this is a very real day-by-day situation it doesn't take much for stuff to change you know at the moment most businesses will be putting in place you know continuity plans and and how do they get through this you know making sure that um everything keeps going and the afl is no different and the only thing that we as the footballing public have to do is is be open and receptive to if those plans change, if the advice tomorrow from the government changes at 3.30 in the afternoon that they shouldn't play because we're now going to, you know, restrictions of 50 or 10 people indoors or whatever it is and in close contact or whatever, then, you know what, the AFL will cancel tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just the reality that we've, we've got to live with for the moment and it's you know no one wants to cancel this thing and that's really important and as as i guess as a public you know we're going to take a lot from you know it'd be great to see footy back on tv it'll make life feel a bit more normal um in this very weird time that we're all experiencing um but at the same time acknowledging that potentially you know stuff's going to change next week yeah um yeah I'm in mean, the same ballpark as you. It'd be interesting to see how it all plays out now. Um, I did just want to go through quickly now um, something that's probably a little bit more lighthearted and potentially a reason why people are listening to this podcast in the first place. Yeah. Um, I will. I mean, I will just say I know that we are a football podcast, but we definitely um, try to be more than a football podcast as well. We like to be a, a football slash I don't know mental health. Uh, podcast where we can be. Sean's just turning on the AC because we are burning up in this room, um, not running a fever, but just getting hot. 
Um, good insulation in here. If real good. Um, but yeah, so one of the, I guess, the lighter reasons is um, that Supercoach will be going ahead and it will be both one of the easier seasons to win and the harder seasons that we've ever had to negotiate in terms of a year. Um, and just trying to assess some of the different impacts of that. So. I'll cover off a few different points um, because they are discrete and different. So start with the seven. Start with the seventeen games, mate. Let's let's look at the seventeen games and the impact. Um, yes. So seventeen games straight away. Um, it's a it's a trade fest. Um, so we, we still have thirty trades, um, but we only have seventeen games to use them, which means that um, if you run with, I don't know, that's that's two trades for fifteen rounds. Um, yep. So, if you go with it, you go maybe you go three trades in all of the buy rounds games, and you don't trade for the first two we weeks. Don't have, we, don't have, we won't have buy rounds. Oh yeah, probably won't have buy rounds. Um, so I think we'll get. I think hopefully they'll lift the trade limit to three. Maybe I'm not sure what they'll do, but that's, that's an interesting point. So they might not have. Um, they might not have buy rounds. They might keep the buy rounds. I don't know. Um, or they might just shorten, like as in there'll be no official buy period. They'll just shorten the time between those rounds. I so think that's what's going to happen. So they'll play three rounds of football in two weeks um, rather than three rounds of football in three weeks with a buy. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that all plays out. But either way, you've got not much time to use lots of trades. So my initial thoughts are what they probably always are. Uh, I mean, I, I do this anyway. Trade, just trade uh, every single week. Try to use one or two trades and improve your team. Um, if there is no buyers and you only use two trades every single week, if that's the if that's the rule, I'm not sure what it'll all be. Uh, then you'll be in a position where you're you're out of trades come round 15. Um, but that's that's, like, that's still you, you, yeah exactly. You'll be right at the right at the pointy end by then. If you're playing for overall as well, then you probably need to use that many trades. So I'll probably start by saying. This is probably the only season in memory for a while where a mid-price strategy may win the year. Typically, guns and rookies with a couple of good calls on some mid-prices is is what wins Supercoach. But um, I think this may be the year of the mid-price madness. Uh, So I would not be surprised if a team that started with you know, basically no Lockie Whitfield, no Lockie Neal, no Rory Laird, potentially no Grundy or Gorn, maybe just one of those two, um, is pro- may may end up winning. And and that's a that's pretty much the top scorer in every line last year taken out of the equation and I, and potentially the teams can win. It's not they're not going to trade them in eventually, but I just think that um, effectively your mid-prices who become permanents or score at a reasonably good permanent level um, are going to be more valuable this year than anything we've seen before. Yeah. I, mean, to me, I, I think actually um, the mid-price strategy um, as a whole is not a flawed strategy it's just that it's really hard to get right so yes. every every year when you look at the team like they sometimes um, 
Champion Data released a team which would have been this would have been the best team had you started with it and followed this trade plan and they show you how like how many thousands of points it beats the top team by and that team always has picks all of the mid prices at the right time that um, are going to end up being keepers because yeah. you end up saving you end up getting more keepers in your team effectively that's like that's like last year getting life set at the right time uh, getting Jack Billings at the right time. Yeah, yeah, know. exactly. All of those players at the right time for them to accelerate and, and score points and and make you a whole lot of money. Um, those players are key to getting in every year. Um, I will say that you still need to have your two captaincy options backed away before you do anything. So well, that's where your one of Grundy or Gorn doesn't start. Or, with or both. Um, you can have or... both. No, no, no. I meant like if you won't, you won't start one or the other. So you'll have one, but not the other. Well, you could have both. Yeah. You, you so that's that's your two. But yeah. I'm, I'm more saying that like the reason why you keep one of them is as you as your captaincy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You definitely need captains. Um, you need captains and vice captains um, to to make sure and, and picking the guys that are going to score the best. Um, just doing a quick reflection on the guys that will score the best. Uh, it's really hard to know, but in like a, um, if you look at the most comparable um, scoring that we've seen, it's AFLW season one, uh, where you had Supercoach scores that were available for that season. In that season, you had players scoring consistently in the 150s and 160s that were good players, mm-hmm. and some players scoring next to nothing. And that happens because the quarters are shorter, but the total score um, is the same. So the scores will still go towards 3,300 points. Um, so the scaling involved in games is so much more dramatic yeah. because teams don't reach near 3,300 points in that time. They might get to 2,600. And then there's a lot of points allocated to scaling from there. So the players that have a good game, uh, the better players, typically yeah. get scaled drastically more. And rookies, high, high impact players, high impact players get scaled drastically. So, um, Ma- is it Marinov? Ma- 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 Oleg. No, Ebony. Um, not- oh, Marinov in yeah, yeah, yeah. Marinov in the women's. Yeah, in the AFL women's, Aaron Phillips. These guys were scoring 180 points in a game, averaging 170 for a season. Like, I don't think we'll see that level of skewedness. But we will. We I will see. I wouldn't put it past. We someone. will see if they keep thirty three hundred as the point. We will see more scoring like that than ever before. Who 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 now becomes a lock in terms of like who? I look at it and I go, danger is probably the one that I was willing to maybe live without to start this season, and I think he really really becomes super relevant because he will play more mid. Yeah, I, I think so as well. So I guess that's, but that's, that's we'll, we'll split these into separate issues. Mm. That that first one was comparing AFLW, which was fifteen minute quarters plus time on, yeah, to AF, uh, AFL men's, which is sixteen minute quarters plus time on. So yeah. re- closer game time length than the men's competition game time length, and just doing like a high level comparison of what the super coach scoring played like. When you now look at it and go. Shorter quarters uh, means shorter matches. Um, what are the important traits? I've been tossing up with is points per minute important um, because people have been using points per minute as an indicator of people that have a high scoring rate 
that will get additional game time in a shorter format. That's that's the belief. As in, yeah. if you're if you're a Grundy um, and you have a really high scoring rate, so Grundy's been in the top three for a uh, top five for scoring rate in the past two seasons, and now you're playing one hundred percent of game time. You just don't like. As in, you just don't go off, or you maybe mm. you have you have five, you have like two minutes off yep. a quarter. You really need a rest because the games are shorter. Then what does that do for your scoring? Does it drive it way up? Do you actually get that more time on the field, or do you get less time because you're an impact player? Well, I think it, I think with Grundy the question. So it's a player by player basis. So with Grundy the question is, where did he score more points? Was it when he played against? Because Grundy typically I think plays like over eighty percent game time. Um, I can't remember what the exact number was, but it's he does have a reasonably high time on ground. Because um, he's a bit of an endurance beast, so yeah. so the question is, you know, does he score more against the opposition second ruckman when you know, um, I don't know, like uh, when Soldo comes on instead of Nankervis or you know something like that? Does he score more at that point, or is it against the the premier ruck? Like, does he score more against yeah Gorn than he does against? Sam Wiedemann, for example. Yep. So, it really, I think it's going to be... It, it's going to come down to people's assessment of where players score their points. I know a few years ago, before, like, when Dusty was playing primarily forward, I know that, you know, he was a late-quarter king. He used to have a score like... I can't remember what the exact number was. Let's call it 40%. I'd have to go back and have a look. But he used to score a lot of his points late in quarters where, you know, he would swing momentum and especially late in game. Surioli as well was another one who, you know, 12 touches but would, you know, score 100 and a lot of it on the back of scaling and moments. So, yeah, you know, um, you know, the question is, do these players now, the quarters are shorter, are they going to be less impactful? I would probably say no because it's the time pressure that, that allows them to scale up. It, I probably more now look at your players and your player styles that are more accumulation based so yeah. you know the people who, who might play 90% game time and never come off and they just keep accumulating 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 well they've got the fitness base to run out uh, you know a 30 minute AFL quarter now they're only going to have to run out a 24 minute AFL quarter Yeah. and guess what so can now 60% of the rest of the AFL where before you were in an elite maybe 5%, now you're back with pack. So your accumulation, your point scoring ability now goes down because players who are next to you who might be better than you can score just as quick. So yeah, it's it's a yeah. You're right. It, it is about um, how you score your points, not just your points per minute. Because when you think of accumulators, uh, Tom Mitchell, Matt Crouch, um, Zach Merritt. Those even guys picking Adam Tomlinson out of the March two, where yeah. he played a hundred percent time on ground yeah. and scored one hundred and thirty or whatever it was. Yeah, like to me, he just is completely irrelevant now. I don't know yeah. if anyone would be picking him in classic. Yeah, you're but even, right. But even in draft, I think he is a less relevant player to have in your team because you know he thrived on the fact that he would get two different opponents and he'd expose you know the smaller of the two opponents being a tall guy or. You know, like the point scoring ability there was just simply because he was there and he kept going and he had more opportunity. Yeah, it's it's it is interesting. I don't know whether um, the 
time on ground for all of these impact players will go up in shorter games. I actually don't know. And, and I and I don't think we'll know this until the season starts. But it I won't. I think of someone like Nick Nat. So Nick Nat on average um, plays sixty eight and a half minutes a game. So I don't think the time duration goes up, but his time on ground goes up naturally because so, so the game's shorter. But I will just let me let me finish the question. So if you compare that to the combination of Grundy and Gone at about 105 minutes. So he's on average he's playing 35 minutes, 37 minutes less game time than those two players. But if you've watched the way Nick Nat plays, it is go full bore for five minutes, come off the bench for five minutes. Go full bore for five minutes, come off onto the bench for five minutes. Will he continue to do that? As in, if he continues to do five minutes on, five minutes off, he will still play the same proportion of total game time rather than increasing the amount of minutes that he plays in a game because the way that he plays is five minutes on, five minutes off. It's not that he somehow gets the ability to now play six minutes on because his explosiveness dissipates in that final minute, which is why he comes off more regularly. So I would argue the, the you reverse engineer that backwards and say they probably pick his spurts on and off based on the length of quarter. Probably. And so what I would say is that his total minutes played, so if he plays, let's call that 70 minutes, was it? 68 point... Six, 68.5 minutes, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's call it 70 minutes. I would say he's still going to play 70 minutes. The difference is the game is now only going to be 95, 95 to 100 minutes. No, it would, be, it would be 90 minutes. So, so uh, 90 minutes. average quarter length would be 22 and a half minutes, so say 90... So, but I also think that Grundy and Gorn are now going to play... 90 minutes yeah yeah it's it so, uh, but that's a so that's an interesting one because the average minutes played for Grundy and Gorn at the moment is 106 minutes so they'll actually get a cut in total game yeah, time so, but so, the proportion of the game that they'll be playing is higher so it's a whereas for someone like a, a Nick Nat he'll be going if if that if that theory holds true he'll be moving from say 60% game time to 75% game time and because of the way scaling will work, his scores will go up uh, astronomically. Yeah, it would probably fifteen percent. Um, He's 15%. probably going to go from averaging about ninety nine to probably about one hundred and twenty. Possibly, but potentially, uh, Gorn and Grundy will now go from averaging one hundred and twenty five to one hundred and fifty. Possibly, and that's that's all. These are all hypotheticals that you have to, I guess, work through and. I think of the same thing with Dangerfield. I think Dangerfield, sorry, I think he's a slight exception because of his ability to play forward. So I think that he'll continue to play a high... I think he'll play a higher percentage of time on the ball, which will increase his points scored. Exactly. But I think he'll play the same portion of time on the field. He'll just play more midfield time than he usually does. What's his typical game time? Like about 85, 90 minutes? No, it's 100 minutes, but it's it's about... 82% 82% game time um, yeah. when you look at it like that. I definitely think he, he will be able to spend longer on the ball in the shorter game time. And I also think in more critical junctures in matches, he will go into the midfield to turn a game. And he yeah. will, and, and the same with Nat Fife as well. I think he definitely will be another one. So you, I guess we're looking at probably our two years ago, our, our old super coach heroes there, the one, the game changes. Um, I think a guy like Paddy Cripps is going to still score very well, much like Clayton Oliver, but I don't think they're going to get as big an uptick out of the scaling. Um, yeah. Cripps potentially could be because he does... He has... You know, he can win games off his own boot, as he showed last year. So maybe Cripps is, is another one, but I yeah. think Oliver probably... Cripps, 
Cribs averages a high number of minutes on the ground, um, which is, I guess, where this whole minutes on ground and scoring rate is interesting to me. Because, for example, over the past two seasons, uh, in both seasons, Patrick Cripps has scored at a worse point per minute rate than um, both Matt Crouch and Zach Merritt. But Matt Crouch and Zach Merritt have played 90 minutes and Patrick Cripps has played 110 minutes. Mm. So Patrick Cripps is playing close to 100, well, 90% of a full-length game. Mm. I don't know whether he's going to be able to go to 100% of a shorter game. I don't know if he'll be able to do that. Well, um, he rests forward, so I would actually say, yeah, I wouldn't expect to see him on the bench at all. Yeah, I, I don't... I would. I, I don't think know. that his his blend of forward to mid time will be adjusted accordingly. Yeah, I think the other interesting thing is going to be because you're going to get more of these burst athletes in the middle. So I'm thinking like, you know, guys like Sonny Walters um, and, and those types of guys who are those real burst accelerating. Chad Wingard's another good one. Um, uh, Robbie Gray, um, Zorko will probably. Oh, he was playing a lot midfield last year, but. You know, um, probably looking more at those real burst type players. I think with more of them in the midfield, that and with the supreme fitness that all these AFL athletes have, I also think there's going to be like a new normal adjustment. So yeah. even though Cripps could potentially spend 100, like 100% game time in the middle because he plays 90 minutes or whatever it is every game, yeah, I, I think they're going to have to balance him up to. Because guys are going to come in there fresher with higher burst rates, they're going to need to rest him forward proportionately. Yeah. Um, so he's, I don't think he'll come off, but I think he just gets rested up forward proportionally. Same as Danger, effectively. And, you know, don't be surprised if, if midfielders with great tanks um, start to be uh, less relevant um, when picking a side. Yeah, and that's 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 a real interesting thing because so I, what, what happens what happens with Whitfield? Whitfield plays on average 110 minutes a game. He's a high tank player. He goes he, back to the back line. He can score well, but he's gone back to the back line. Um, no, no, he's up forward at the moment, isn't he? No, he's a forward line player in Supercoach. I thought he's playing. No, so he's playing wing, wing forward. So his he, I think they have to Leon Cameron. To the back line. Leon Cameron said that he'll play half back wing this year. Yeah, I think that's the right call. Um, because, but for him, what does that mean for his scoring? Like, as in, are we all now locked into a six hundred? Like, so this is a quick analysis that I did today, and this isn't by no means scientific, but it is a quick high level at what the landscape looks like. Um, mids and rucks best every single year for points per minute. Every single year, generally the top twenty players are all mids or rucks. Yeah. Um, so. Those are the players you're going to want as your captains. Um, when you look at the next line, for, uh, forward to the worst, so defenders are that sort of middle point in terms of their scoring rate. Um, and typically, it's easy to guess um, which players have the best scoring rate because defenders typically play more game time, but they're also ranked pretty much accordingly. So yeah. Jake Lloyd, generally near the top, um, Shannon Hearn, Zach Williams, generally near the top. Last year, Basha Hooley, right near the top. Like There were a lot of players. Kale Daniel, Tom Stewart, they were almost in order of their scoring or yep. very close to the top. Because even though they're playing high amount of time on game, um, they've also got a reasonable scoring rate, say above a point a minute, um, which is a good scoring rate. 
Zach Williams has been one. It'd be interesting because I think he's been injured, so he's a watch, but his scoring rate's probably in the best of the backmen over the past couple of years. And with a move to the wing. And with the move to the wing, potentially on the cards, it just it really depends on what's going to happen with him, um, with his injury, because of um, he's got, what do you call it, crystal Achilles um, that'll snap at any minute. So I think, I think it's, um, it's also interesting when looking at the rookies. I think all of a sudden, um, like Cozzy Pickett at Melbourne, he, he probably gets a game now. Yeah. Because um, like, his knock would be a tank. Um, yeah, Will Gould. Yeah, knock, knock would be a tank. Um, he doesn't have an AFL tank, but uh, Cody Cody Waitman, who does have a good tank, but is a more explosive player, he yeah. becomes relevant. Um, I would have thought, you know, uh, potentially you guys like your Dill Williams or Miles Bergman and even Mitch Georgiades to a lot lesser extent from Port Adelaide. All three of those, if selected, are very relevant. Um, you know. Miss Georgiades will play 100% game time as a key forward. So yeah, um, yeah, he's got a, he's got he's got a tank and he has a role. Yeah, um, so he probably won't go off a whole lot. Yeah, and they're the kind of players that can impact the game. Um, also, think Lockie Ash, even though he, again has got a reasonable tank, um, but again high high speed, high impact player. I think he becomes a lot more relevant for selection. Um, Noah Anderson even um, even though like in the early stuff his time on ground and stuff uh, his point per minute isn't great if he gets a more midfield role I wouldn't be afraid to throw him in there Um, like just looking at your rookies straight away like all of a sudden they all become a lot more relevant because they're a lot more pickable for a coach now because you know when a team is has drafted for something they're lacking um you know, Riley Collier Dawkins is another good example. Like he he's been working on his tank, working on his size, and everything. He's now, you know, put on eight kilos. He's a bit bigger, you know, fit, ready to go. All of a sudden, you shorten that game. He becomes a lot more relevant yeah. because now the coach isn't nervous about him running out of game because he's been training to run out a thirty minute quarter. Now he's going to run out a twenty five minute quarter. It's like it's it's like in in like long distance athletics where you trained for the 800 by running a kilometre you know like that sort of thing yeah um, and effectively a lot of people are going a lot of I think this will be a good year where rookies are going to get blooded and given a lot more chance because they're often the biggest weakness for rookies coming in is having a big tank um, because they've been in a TAC Cup system and doing school yeah. rather than being in an AFL system where they build their tank that's that's true um Equally, the flip side of that same thing is that there are less minutes to go around. Of course. So with less minutes to go around, and if we're assuming that these players, Nick Nats, other players like this, get a higher portion of game time than they would have previously because you want to have your best players on the ground, then we might see some rookies playing games almost similar to what the sub rule used to be like, as in playing 50% game time purely there as a rotation player. Yeah, so that so that would be more the guys like Tom Green. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, so you, exactly, yes. Again, to, you, you, to, you Tom Greens of the world, um, your impact rookies that might be just used as a as a rotation player. So yeah. rotate straight into the middle and then straight to the bench, which is what Nick Nat will do. But but know, again, well, there's no rookie rucks coming through. like Luke Jackson, but he's he's probably going to play forward for Melbourne if he plays this year. Um, 
there's not like when you're talking about Nick Nat, he's he's a ruckman. Rucks are kind of different; they generally mature. Um, yeah. I probably think that this plays in the favour of a guy like Tim English as well. Tim English, because uh, he probably well in the off season he's definitely been working on building his tank and going longer against the bigger bodies like your Gorns, your Grundies, your Jared Wits, your you know these kind of guys. He's now built his body out to be able to to go against them, and all of a sudden you're going to cut the tank side of it, well, he's probably going to come come along very well because of that. Yeah. Um, so, and Riley O'Brien, even though he's got an AFL tank, he's another one who will benefit as well. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so there's a lot of benefits there. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't be picking... Uh, I wouldn't be picking either of them, but they are. I'm just saying that yeah, no. don't be surprised if a, a successful team has one of them. I was going to say, actually, I wouldn't be picking somebody like a Patton now. I know some people were thinking about... Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't pick Patton anyway, but some people were thinking about Patton as a key forward slash ruck. I think that his, um, he'll be spending more time at key forward because the rucks will be spending more time in the middle yeah. um, and just less time around the ball probably impacts his scoring a little bit. As key forwards, they'll typically be playing close to 100% game time now. Yeah. But they're going to have to kick bags to do anything. I, I really... I'm going to be very interested to see how all of this plays out because... I think everyone is. It's purely theoretical at the time being. So what might happen is that they just go... Our theory could completely be wrong. Well, that's what... Exactly. Like, the counter theory that I first held with Nick Nat is just that he continues his rotations in the exact same portion, in the exact same way, because that's how he's most effective, is in five-minute bursts. So he plays still 65% game time um, or 60% game time. He just plays less of a game. So if anything, he's more prepared for the rest of the season because you, you're able to play somebody else like a Hickey or a Bailey Williams, which you might be able to play multiple positions, or you could rotate two players straight off the bench depending on how you want to play it. Uh, I really be very interested to see how it's all going to go. I, I honestly think the teams with strong rucks are not playing a second ruck. Genuinely, like I, I, yeah. I, I know Collingwood don't typically play a second ruck. Yeah, exactly. Like maybe you need a chop out for for two or three minutes. Yeah, but, but there's, no, there's nothing saying Mason Cox can't jump in there and Sam Weedham and that's can, yeah, exactly. No, so. you, you're completely right. I would say that um, one interesting factor will be when there's multiple games in a short period of time. Um, so I know this is already going to happen with Fremantle, where they'll. they'll most likely have three games in 14 days and I reckon the same thing will happen with GWS is that they'll take two rucks for those games um, so GWS will probably play Mumford in the middle one and Sam Jacobs for the outside two but again older players older players what will be interesting to know is what happens when that happens eventually to Collingwood whether they'll go Grundy one game rest him um, because they'll be playing the long game and play Darcy Cameron who's a perfectly fine ruckman and then what's your bench strategy? Um, so at the moment, and this team is constantly changing, very, very fluid, but it has changed drastically since the announcement that there would be shorter quarters. Um, just trying to capitalize on what that looks like. I haven't like. updated my team. You haven't? Okay, so your your team is more tra- potentially traditional. I, I can but, read out my team as a traditional comparison. Yeah. Um, so at the moment um, my ruck line has Grundy because he's my number one captain but then I've changed Naismith to Nat Nui uh, and I've got Bailey Williams on the bench because I want to have that um, that open um, I mean I'm also considering whether Darcy Cameron sits on that bench instead of Bailey Williams and I can't work out which one of those two I have a feeling that Nat, Nick Nat will miss more games 
than Grundy, but I have a feeling that Darcy Cameron has better ruck security than Bailey Williams, so I've got to play that one out. Uh, my forward line at the moment is Dusty, Hugh Greenwood, Christian Petrarca, Devin Smith, Isaac Rankin, Cotter Buderick, and two bench rookies. My midfield is Jack McRae, Paddy Dangerfield, Clayton Oliver, Zach Merritt, Darcy Parrish, uh, Matty Rao, Tom Green, and Marlian Pickett with uh, rookies on the bench. Um, I do have a floating donut, um, which is a mid-forward. I think that Jack Marnie doesn't play, and he'll be my floating donut. Um, he'll float between forward um, and midfield, giving me loophole abilities um, for, for those lines. The intention is always to move um, Darcy Parrish into the forward line, but there's just more rookies there at the start of the season, which is why I got my team set up that way. Yep. And a the back line is Rory Laird, um, who's scoring per minute is still good. Uh, Cicely Doherty, Jeremy Howe, Devin Robertson, and uh, and Devin Noble. Robertson, Dylan. Dylan, sorry, I've got Dev and Dill. I had this same problem. I just recorded a podcast this morning or last night and I had the same problem but Dill, Robertson and Noble from Collingwood so that's my team minus rookies yep um, so my team probably hasn't changed a lot in the last five days because I rather than wasting time on changing it I just thought I'd wait for the AFL to come back out and tell me what's happening so I've got Cicely, Doherty, Robertson, Noble, Brander Will Gould obviously rookies are subject to change with whoever gets named. Um, Tom Williamson is not in my team. He's probably the only change I've made after he was named out. Uh, midfielders have changed slightly from last time. I've got McRae, Fife, Danger, Bont, Oliver. So I've gone for... Uh, try to go with a bit more high impact. Uh, then I've got Raul, Sarong and Pickett. Um, but again, Sarong will be whoever is playing. So if it's Tom Green, it's Tom Green. Yep. Uh, Grundy and Nick Nat in the ruck with Jerry on the bench, but I may change it up to Williams, I'm thinking. Yep. Um, then I've got Dusty, Gresham, Track. Jack Stephen, I think, has been named on the injury list, so he's going to have to move out. Yep. Um, so I might bring in a guy like Hugh Greenwood because I've got cash in the bag. I've got Dev Smith and Isaac Rankin, and again, rookies on the bench. Um you know, some of the rookies I've been looking at, um, RCD, Connor Buderick, uh, Cozzy Pickett, Max King, those types of guys. Again, now that we have the go-ahead and we've got some teams starting to roll in, I'll probably refine this a bit more. But, you know, like I had the Grundy Nick Nat in two weeks ago. Yeah. So now more people are going to come across to my <laughs> surprise strategy. Um, and, yeah, again, like I've got plenty of money in the bank to correct any issues I've got um, but yeah I'll just have to obviously sort out my rookies and potentially go one deeper in the back line um, by the looks of things Yeah, I do like a five premium mid just personally yeah so do I I mean at the moment I've unfortunately got a forward sitting there which is purely at the moment based upon this whole points per minute optimising that um, Parrish is a player that has high points per minute he typically does. doesn't have a great tank and is relatively impactful when he plays so his game time might go up with this um, or his percentage game time he's also been talked up by Hep um, in, in press conferences and stuff as being a bit of a player to watch out for this year yep but um, I am not entirely... That change between... Um, I bo- brought both 
Greenwood and Parish in in probably two minutes ago. So um, so Greenwood Greenwood is probably my next selection for Jack Stephen. Yeah, so, so. Green, Greenwood um, out of the forwards in 2018 was um, 13th for points per minute. Um, so in and around the right mark and look all this is also a balancing act between not just points per minute but also dollars per point Um, so you also have to consider their starting price in all of this last year he was fourth out of all forwards in points per minute um, and only played 88 minutes so has game time to increase as well starting at a reasonable price this year so I think that he has. Um, he's got a lot of. Value. He's got a lot of upside if he can play. Pat Parrish certainly in the Marsh Cup showed what he's capable of. Yeah. Um, I thought he had a. Re- I think, if I remember the spreadsheet correctly, he had pretty good point per minute in Marsh, or maybe in one of the two. No, Marsh he did. Games. He had yeah, good points per minute, but he re- he had three goals in his. Um, That's right. Yeah. In his second game, his role was better in his first game. So. Yeah, um, I mean, guess look probably probably can wrap it all up I guess from here but um, uh, I guess probably the things Supercoach wise to take away um, get a strategy and stick to it that's uh, I I know in the past where I've had poor seasons in Supercoach and this will be no different is that when I flip flop between strategies and I've gone half baked on one and then flip to the other um, and then those corrections end up costing you um, if you generally stay the course in Supercoach you will um, come out the other side of it uh, in better than if you flip flop between strategies because if you can't correct you can't correct um, I personally am probably leaning more on the side of um, mid price madness up forward and then guns and rookies the rest of the the forward line obviously with the exception of Nick Nat I think that he offers a huge potential value this season and I thought that before they shortened the game and before they cut the games yeah you were, right. you were wrong before they changed their game time and I, now you're right I don't think I was wrong <laughs> I think that Nick Nat has is going to show everyone what we remember of him five years ago so that's just a personal opinion that I've had ever since watching him run out in the first Marsh game yeah I mean I, to be honest, I had that opinion um, early in the preseason before he played, um, and he was in and around my side then. I heard him talking. Um, they were trying to rush him back for finals last year. It didn't happen, um, which made me think, okay, he's going to probably have a full preseason. We did. Um, we did. Uh, and I heard him put his hand up for the uh, state origin game. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was eventually pulled back by West Coast to yep. say, no. <laughs> Just You're too set, risky. Settle down, mate. Um, but just that confidence that he wanted to go, no, 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 I'm going to mix it with the best this year. Yeah. Um, let me show you what I've got. He mate. wants his title back. Best Ruckman in the comp. Yeah. Well, he's going to have to snatch it back from two of the best Ruckman in, ev- ever. played, yeah. Yeah, two I of the best. I don't disagree, but we're also very privileged to sit here and say we're probably witnessing uh, three of the best Ruckman we will watch. Yeah. Uh, play the game. Yeah, no, And full stop. And that goes back, you know, decades as well. I think, um, you know, there's been some great Ruckman over time, but I genuinely think the battle between three individually unique Ruckman. Yeah. Is- Whereas, it, yeah, you're right. And if you look at midfielders, if you went back and you lined up Diesel Williams, Lee Matthews, 
guys like this against uh, you go Voss even um, Buckley more recent era James Hurd um, and then compare them to more modern day prototype midfielders look sure modern day midfielders are better in the modern game but man I reckon it would be close to see who would I would not want to take on a midfield with Bucks, Voss and Croft. I would not want to take on a midfield that had um, Greg Williams and what do you call it Matthews, um, and Lee Matthews in it. I, I mean, any of those guys are are all absolute legends, and they're all superstars. Um, I, like, doubt we're going to see better forwards than we would Ablett, um, Dunstall, guys like this. I mean, Buddy, Buddy goes, Buddy, cl- Buddy's the- Buddy and Ablett, but like Gary Ablett Senior, um, arguably just as good, if not better than Buddy, um, but arguable. <laughs> I, I, very I th- arguable. I think that Buddy is better, um, but I just mean. Rux is, I think, a different kettle of fish. I know that there have been good ruckmen in the past. There's been some great ruckmen. I don't think we've ever seen the ones that have the combination of skills that we've got right now. Well, um, I think I think what I mean, you look at you know, you go back to you know, Polly Farmer was probably the first real evolution in rucks, um, and then you know, Polly probably led to Sam Newman and and a few others, and then we trundled along all through the ages, and you had. You know, big Carl Dittrich and, and these guys that, that, that played along and then you had the Maddens, the Salmons, the you know, all these guys come along. But then, you know, it was Scotty Wind and, and Jimmy Steins that really pushed the game. The Ruckman, you know, Jimmy not taking breaks, running out games and and that sort of thing. And then that led to your to your Dean Cox and, and that's where we really see this modern Ruckman that isn't just a tall bloke tapping it down who is uh, a ruckman who goes and gets 15 touches a game yeah um, and takes five marks and is heavily involved and is a key linchpin yeah you know rather than being a you know a bit of a you know tall bean pole who runs around and kicks the odd guy I mean Paul Salmon's probably an exception there as well we're thinking about it I mean he was probably more of a key forward than a ruckman but yeah but it's, it's equally hard adept one both if you line up um if you're just playing like straight lineups and you line up, as I said, Gary Ablett Jr. versus Diesel Williams or Lee Matthews and stuff like that, I don't know who would be better. Even in the current game, like as in mm. those guys at their peak, I think it would be on for young and old. Mm. You put Max Gorn against Paul Salmon, he just slaughters him. Um, yeah. It's ruck work. Paul Salmon would be a key forward, like a Max King-style key forward in the current game. Probably. Um, well, that's what he ended up doing. Exactly. So he's a, so if we take him out... So you put Jimmy Steins, who, again, huge work rate. Put put Jimmy Steins he, against Grundy. against Grundy. Grundy wins. Grundy slaughters him. Like, as in, better better ruck work, better disposal around the ground, Ooh. better follow-up. Be- be- much better much better disposal, but I wouldn't say better ruck work. Fine. Jimmy was a craft. E- equivalent, equivalent ruck work, um, like, because Grundy's always been a negator. Like, mm. as in, against someone like a Gorn, he negates him, and then he beats him when the hit, the ball is bounced the right way, and yeah. he just gets clean hit-outs. But his work around the ground is so much superior yeah, to any absolutely, yeah. and that's really been the evolution. So we're very lucky in that sense. Yeah, if we were wrapping up the podcast, I think that was ten so, minutes ago now. <laughs> so that's all right. Um, I guess coming back to the wrap up. So for Supercoach, yeah, um, stick to a strategy and be bold. I guess this is this is the year where it probably doesn't matter so much. We can we can uh, take some big bold risks, and I think we're gonna, you know, I think last year amongst our our. Um, Supercoach League, which of ten, which finished 
was it third overall and all, yeah all, third or second or fourth it was very yeah. up I think the we, top. we won two years ago we were number one league in in the entire Supercoach two yeah. years ago so we were the number one league until I think round 21 this year and then a different one of the leagues that me and a couple of the other people are in took over and won yeah. so we, um, we're in some good leagues yeah yeah and it's and we, we are very much mid to low in the pack sometimes hey. I beat you last year yeah, mate so did. if I'm mid to low it's <laughs> yeah. not great for you yeah I know um but yeah, I mean, I think yeah. Last year when we looked at our league and we all posted our round one sides, or we all saw them. You know, the points of difference between the sides were maybe five players across the entire thing. I, I suspect this year we'll probably see ten players between us, which will make for a very interesting season. Um, and I guess probably wider, uh, talking more social now. Um, just I think everyone, let's be kind. Um, let's get back to community. We are. I guess one one country together, and you know, uh, as the rest of the world um, and us included face this this crisis that we've got in front of us, or this uh, you know outbreak and everything. Um, you know, if we stick together um, as a country and do the right things by each other, you know, follow the advice from the government, the social distancing, um, limiting interactions, so you know, properly self quarantining and doing the right things by our communities. Um, will go a long way to, to stopping the spread, um, allowing us time to develop the vaccines and stuff that we need to, to really fight this, what it is. Um, and, and as well, we come out the other side stronger um, with a new, I guess, appreciation and, and um, gratitude for, for what we have and, and the, the freedoms and enjoyments we have in our life. Couldn't agree with you more, mate. Um, and with that we'll wrap up so thanks again for listening guys I hope you found this informative and interesting that's our angle (laughs) Um, and yeah look forward to hearing from you all soon hopefully you're all well Um, let us know if you ever want to chat about anything you can hit us up on Twitter and yeah look forward to chatting with you again soon Sean it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure Johnny and uh, chat to you all soon bye If you constantly worry that the worst is going to happen, you're not alone. One in four Australians will experience anxiety. No one anxiety is talking. Visit Beyond Blue to start a life beyond anxiety.